Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. Uh, before I get started, um, it was brought to my attention that someone had left their cell phone where they were sitting this morning in the first service has not turned up yet. So if you have found a cell phone that's not yours, uh, would you please turn it into the Welcome Center back there? would be greatly appreciated. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> this message this morning is essentially the, the casting of vision. Because as a staff, we've been praying and seeking the Lord for the direction for 2019. And so what I'm going to share this morning is what we believe that God has been saying to this to us. This is what we believe that the Lord is directing us to focus a lot of our attention on as we begin this new year. Now, you need to know that this is not a change in the vision that that we've had for the last several years. This has nothing to do with altering or changing in any way what we know that God has called this particular church to be about. Our overall vision is still the same. Our three main areas of focus are still the gospel, family, and discipleship. Believe the gospel, belong to the family, build the kingdom, which is built one person at a time. What we feel really that the Lord is leading us to now is more of a narrowed focus on one particular aspect of that overall vision. And as as I have been uh, praying about and seeking the Lord on this, he led me to this text here in Ephesians 4 that I'm going to uh, just exposit pretty much verse by verse because there are some things in here that I want to show you. So uh, let's all stand together and read this whole text together and then we'll break it down in more detail. We're going to start with verse 7 and read through 16. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he says this, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says when he ascended on high he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression he ascended what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to build up the body in Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Let's pray. Lord, I'll just come to you now, God, just uh, recognizing the fact that we need you uh, desperately, Lord, every day we need you, every minute we need you. God, I need you right now to help me communicate uh, what's on your heart. Lord, what it is that you have for us 
as a church body, what it is that you have for uh, each of us as individuals. And Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear you. Uh, Lord, Jesus always said, let, let those who have ears to hear, hear. So God, we're asking you to give us ears to hear. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you have um, allowed us to hear from you through the shed blood of Jesus. And Lord, we just want you to have your way in all this. In your name we pray, amen. So Paul writes this letter here to the church in Ephesus the same way that he writes pretty much all of the letters that he wrote to different churches and that he first starts with the gospel. He spends the first half of the letter reminding the people there of who Jesus is, what he has done, and who they are in him. And then the rest of the letter is what to do with that. This is how to apply all of that gospel truth. Here in Ephesians, he begins that part of it here in chapter 4 with the word therefore in verse 1. Which means that he is now about to connect everything he said before to everything he's going to say after And so in verse 1 there, he says, therefore, since this is who Jesus is, since this is what he has done and who you are in him, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then he spends the rest of the letter telling us how to do that. In verse 7 that we begin reading, he begins to explain what Jesus' death and resurrection has accomplished. And look at it again. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, the, the grace that God has given us through the shed blood of Jesus is measured and evidenced by the specific gifts that he gives each and every one of us. In verse 8, he quotes from Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen. He says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Here, Paul is showing that that this particular aspect of what Jesus accomplished, that he has given specific gifts to people, was something that was prophesied about hundreds of years before. And then in verse 9 and 10, he's just showing them that Psalm 68 is actually talking about Jesus because he's saying that the, the one in Psalm 68 refers to as the one who ascended is also the one who descended to the lower parts of the earth, referring to Jesus's burial. So he's saying he descended into the grave and then he ascended back up to heaven. And then verse 11 is one of the purposes that he's talking about of Jesus's death and resurrection. This is one of the major things he accomplished that he gave some as apostles, some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. What Paul is saying here in this text is that Jesus didn't die just so our sins could be forgiven and he wasn't raised from the dead just so we could go to heaven. He didn't do all of that just so we could experience something great and glorious in the future. But he did it so that we could all experience something great and glorious now. The first point in the notes, if you're following along there in the bulletin, is this. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead in order to create something here on earth. 
to create something here. And what he created, the next point, was an, not an organization, but an organism. And there's a big difference between the two. What I mean by that is that Jesus didn't die to just, I mean, start a club. He didn't even die to start a religion or anything like that. He didn't die to to just form a group of like-minded people. Those, Those things would be an organization. He died to create here on earth a vibrant living organism. And here's the definition of an organism from the dictionary. It's not in your notes, but it should be up on the screen. An organism is defined as a form of life composed of mutually interdependent parts that maintain various vital processes. That means that each part plays an important role that is vital in the function and the success of the whole thing. Well, what that describes right there perfectly is the church. This is what Jesus has created. This is what he died to to create here on earth. He didn't die primarily just to save individuals. I know that's what we hear a lot, you know, things like if you were the only person left on earth, he would have died for you. Yes, that is true, but he didn't die primarily to save individuals. He died primarily to create this living organism here on earth made up of saved individuals. Next point is this, Jesus died to make you a part of something bigger than just yourself. He died to make you a part of something bigger than just yourself. And it is crucial that we all understand this. That being in Christ, being a Christian is a whole lot more about the we than it is the me. And I know that's a hard thing for a lot of us to wrap our heads around because we live in such an individual-minded culture. Everything about our culture, especially here in the South, especially here in East Texas, is about toughness and rugged individualism and doing things yourself, which in some things that is, that is really, really good, but it has no place in our role as Christians in what Jesus died to accomplish. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say here. Individualism does not belong in the body of Christ. It just doesn't. In fact, God despises individualism. He showed us this right from the beginning. In the first chapter of Genesis, he's just creating one thing after another. And after everything he creates, he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. Then he gets to Adam, and there's something about Adam that he says is not good, that he is alone. He said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. When Adam was created there by himself, this was the first time in all of eternity that there had been aloneness in the universe. The first time that individualism ever existed was when Adam was first created because God had always existed as a relational being. He had never been alone. It was always the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when he looked down and he saw this aloneness, when he saw this individualism, he declared that it was not good. He does not like individualism because it does... it does not reflect his nature and his character. 
Because the essence of his whole being is all about relationship. He's existed for eternity, not as just an individual, but as an entity made up of the relationship of three between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the biggest meanings that you and I were created in the image of God means that we were created as relational beings. And so this organism that Jesus died to create, in order order for it to function the way that he envisioned and the way that he designed it to, he gives what he calls gifts to certain individuals, things he gives to them that allows them to function within this thing the way that he designed it to. And Paul lists some of those there in verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He equips certain individuals to function in those roles. And then he tells us the reason for that in verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So God has gifted me to function in at least one of those roles as pastor. And so as pastor, do you know what my purpose is? My job description is right there in verse 12. My job is not to entertain you. It is not to make you happy. It is not to meet all of your needs. My job is not to make you comfortable or to make you like me. My job is simply to equip you. To equip you. You know, a lot of church people get frustrated with the pastor for doing things that aren't his job. I've got pastor friends all the time that just tell me these horror stories about the pressures that they face from uh, people in their congregation being mad at them or their, their deacons or elders being mad at them for all these things that they're not doing. I'm God, aren't they reading their Bible? Don't they know that, that that's not even your biblical job to do that? And I praise God every day that I don't experience some of these things that these other pastors do. I love this church body. I, I just I hear them telling me these things and I'm just so thankful thankful that I have the leadership here that I do, that I get to join in, and and they understand things. Our job as pastors is to equip each of you to fulfill your role that God has for you within this organism called the church, or as Paul calls it here in this text, the body of Christ. If you have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ, you have a specific function within this thing that Jesus died to create. My job is to help you discover what that function is and then to equip you to be able to do it. You know, one of the things that I've learned in all this is it's been kind of difficulty because of my kind of personality, which is if I want something to get done, you know, a lot of times I feel like I need to get in there and do it. It's like if you want something done right, do it yourself. That kind of mentality. Any of you other type A's know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, you just got to get your hands all over everything or you think it's not going to be done right. Well, man, God checked me on this big time because he's like, look, you have a role in this church and it's not all of these other things. And then if I'm going to be the one trying to do all this and people have this mentality, oh, the pastor should do it because they're the ones that get paid. 
if we're doing all these things that don't have anything to do with equipping the body, not only are we functioning in something that we weren't designed to function in, but we are also hindering any of you from doing those things. Because some of you have been gifted to do the very things that that we have a tendency to want to get involved in doing. And it's been kind of difficult for me to just kind of step back and say, okay, instead of me doing this, I need to identify those in the body that God has gifted and call them up to be able to do this. Because that's what it means to be the church. God didn't call us to go to church. He calls us to be the church. And what I try to equip you with the most is truth. It all starts with that because I know that what you do has absolutely everything to do with what you believe. And it usually takes us a while to to truly believe something for it to sink down into our heart where it becomes a part of us rather than just staying up there in our mind. And uh, sometimes it takes us hearing things over and over again in order for it to finally sink in. That's why we focus so much here on the preaching of the gospel and why I say that those who are saved need to keep hearing the gospel just as much as those who are lost. Each of us have been saved for a greater purpose, the greater purpose of fulfilling our role within the body. So how long should we do this? I mean, How do you know if you've been fully equipped and there's no need for you to be equipped by anything before because you've got it all? Verse 13 there again tells us, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So it says we do it until we all become unified and mature. Well, how mature? The rest of the verse to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ until our spiritual maturity reaches the level of Jesus's. And so in other words, we never stop equipping and we never stop seeking to be equipped in this world because that's never going to happen until we finally see Jesus face to face. We are constantly pursuing spiritual maturity by allowing ourselves to be molded more and more into the image of Christ. Now, listen to this. You will not grow into spiritual maturity by remaining an island under yourself. You won't. God did not create us to be able to do that. I don't care how many times you come to church. I don't care how many sermons you listen to on podcasts or on television or how many personal Bible studies you do on your own in your quiet time. God designed us in such a way that in order for us to grow in spiritual maturity, it has to be done within the environment of community and relationship. And that's the main point I believe that Paul is making in this text. The next thing in your notes, the pursuit of spiritual maturity is about finding your place and fulfilling your role in the body. When anyone comes to me expressing a desire to serve in a leadership role in the church, whether it's a a deacon or an elder or a staff member or anything like that, of course, I mean, first thing we want to know is, you know, what kind of spiritual maturity do they have? Uh, We it's a good idea to, to hire somebody that's, that's got some level of spiritual maturity, right? 
And so the, re- the, the way I try to identify that is the first thing I want to know is what kind of accountability do you have in your life? What kind of circle of relationships do you have? Are you allowing yourself to be known? Are there people that, that you allow to know you in ways that other people don't? And besides just your spouse. Because spiritual maturity requires those types of relationships. And if they're just an island under the self, if they don't have any of those kind of relationships, then, then I'll know right off the bat then that spiritual maturity is not going to be there because spiritual maturity does not develop in a vacuum, not when we remain an island unto ourselves. All right, next verses, 14 and 15. It says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, verse 15 there is huge. It says that we grow in all aspects by speaking the truth in love. Well, who are we speaking to? The mirror? No. To one another. There is relationship that is going on there. And this is another unique way that God has designed every one of us. How many of you either have kids now or have raised kids and there's something that you're always telling them, something that you're trying uh, for them to get and they just seem to never get it. It's just going right over their head. They're not getting this at all. But then suddenly they hear it from somebody else, whether a friend of yours, uh, a family member or a youth pastor, and all of a sudden the light comes on and it's like they have heard it for the first time. They have had this revelation from the Lord And you're going, wait a minute, I've been telling you this for years. When I helped coach my son's baseball team, it was with some other dads. And if we saw our own son needing to do something or to work on something, we would get each other to tell him. You know, instead of me telling Braden what he needed to do, I'd get one of the other dads and say, hey, tell this to him. Give him this suggestion. And if they saw something that their boy needed to do, they'd come to me and say, hey, tell him this. Why? Because we know they'll probably listen if it's coming from them. I mean, if you're hearing from one particular source over and over and over again, you tend to kind of tune it out after a while. And so God created us to need others in our lives speaking truth to us. I believe that he created this this way because it keeps us from being able to just rely on just one source and forces us into those relationships with others. Because if we were able to grow and learn uh, to the fullest just by relying on one source, then we wouldn't need each other. But we do need each other, and God made us in a way to make sure that we did. He made us to where our growth happens best within the context of relationships. Too many people just rely on one source and that one source that they rely on more times than not is themselves. If you try to do that, you're missing out on what God has and you're stunting your growth. If what you define as being involved in church consists solely of you listening to me preach sermons on Sunday morning I'm telling you right now, you are selling yourself short. God has gifted me to equip you for the body, 
but he has not gifted me enough to be your only source for that. If he did, then you wouldn't need anybody else. But you do need others. We all need each other. And realize this, just as much as God has gifted me with something that you need, he has gifted each and every one of you for something that I need. Just as much. Don't ever buy into the lies of Satan when he tells you that you've got nothing to offer. Yes, you do. If you are saved, if you are in Christ, yes, you do. You have a lot to offer. And I'm telling you right now, you would not be here if you didn't have something that this church body needs. I say this all the time. If you are here a part of this church, it is because God led you here because he knows that he has gifted you with things that this church body needs. As much as you need this church, this church needs you. It's like this big jigsaw puzzle. And you have been cut and shaped a specific way to fit a specific spot that completes the whole puzzle. Verse 16, he says, from, or we need to start with Christ there because that's what he's talking about. The last word in 15, Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of, up of itself in love. Now, this is a long run on sentence that Paul is pretty famous for that just reduced down to its simplest form just says, Christ causes the growth of the body. Everything in between Christ and causes the growth is how he does it, is what he uses to grow it. And first he says, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. This is not referring to each individual member of the body. The Greek word used for joint there is the word hafe, which means bond or connection. This is referring to what bonds us together as individual members, which is the Holy Spirit. We are held together as one by what the Holy Spirit Supplies. Paul talks about this earlier in verses 3 and 4 where he refers to the unity of the spirit and says there is one body and one spirit. And then verse 16 says the other thing that Jesus uses to grow the body. The proper working of each individual part. Now right here in Ephesians 4, 16, Paul is essentially telling us how to grow a church. You know, I'm always getting mail up here in my office from advertisements and invitations for these church conferences and things and come and find out how to grow your church, how to reach more people, how to, and it's all these latest fads and things and tricks that our people are trying to do when it's right there in the text. These are two ingredients that are necessary for a thriving, healthy, growing church body. The presence of and the reliance on the Holy Spirit and each individual member doing their part. If you got those two things working together, look out. Watch what God is about to do. 
And notice, it, it, if you're going to grow a church, it doesn't say anything about a dynamic preacher or great sound and worship band or innovative programs or nice facilities or anything like that. A healthy, thriving, growing church is all about relationship. It's our relationship to the Holy Spirit and to one another. There is no place for individualism within the body of Christ. You know, for a long time, the church as a whole in America has been focused on growth. But it's usually been the wrong kind of growth. It's been growing numbers, growing buildings, growing budgets. But what we have not put enough focus on like we should is growing disciples. Which is kind of ironic or really kind of sad because that is the one instruction that Jesus left us with before he ascended back to the Father. Go and make disciples. That was it. He didn't say go make crowds or go make buildings or go make a name for your church. He just said go make disciples. One of the reasons that it's been so lacking, I believe, for one, is that making those other things is a lot easier than making disciples. It's not that hard to make a crowd. It doesn't require much more than just doing something to be impressive. Making disciples is harder because it requires relationship, and relationships tend to be pretty messy. But in order to make disciples, you don't need to be impressive. You just need to make an impression on somebody. And it's the smallest things that tend to make the biggest impressions. A phone call, a visit, a word of encouragement. You know, there's a lot of pressure and stress involved when you're trying to be impressive all the time. But making an impression on someone isn't stressful at all because all it requires is a little compassion and a little time. And that's the other reason I believe we haven't been too good at making disciples. It's harder because it requires relationship. Relationships can be messy, and relationships require time, which is something that most of us in here would say that is in short supply these days. We just don't have the time for it. But the thing is, if we were really honest with ourselves, we've got the time. What we don't have time for are the things that aren't that important to us. That's what we don't have time for. But the things that we think are important, we always make time for those things. We have time for them because we make the time for them. And so this is what we believe God is calling us to pursue more this year. For all of us, finding our place in the body, getting involved in deeper relationships, focusing more on the we rather than the me, and making disciples How are you going to do that? Well, there are many different ways that we try to create opportunities and environments for these things to happen. And I'm going to tell you right now, these kind of relationships that I'm talking about here, they don't happen here on Sunday morning worship. They just don't. It's impossible to get to that kind of relational level here in in a crowd this size. And so in order to do that, you've got to break the large crowd down into smaller groups. 
And so that's why we have Sunday school and Wednesday nights and things like that. And so if you've just been coming to, to Sunday morning worship, I encourage you to get involved in either Wednesday night or Sunday. Now, th- that's where you start to get to know people a little more, uh, better than you can here on, on, in Sunday morning worship like this. The primary purpose of those classes are uh, education, learning. We're doing Bible studies in there. The secondary purpose is a relationship. But to really get down into deeper heart-level relationships, it's these life groups that Danny was talking about earlier that will be meeting outside of the church in homes. This is where you allow yourself to really be known by people. The, the primary purpose of those is relationship, and the secondary would be the, the study and uh, so if you're not involved in any of that, I strongly encourage you to. And I want to close with this. I've titled this message, Rewarding Jesus. Some of you may be thinking that's kind of an odd title for a message about what everything that I just talked about. But remember what I said earlier, that Jesus died for this. He died to make us a part of something much bigger than just ourselves. He died so that we could reflect his nature as relational beings. He died so that we could receive gifts from him that are needed for the overall body and and to use those things. So here's the question I want to leave with you. Does Jesus deserve the reward for his suffering? Does he deserve the reward for his suffering? You have an opportunity to do that, to reward him, to worship him, to honor him by giving him, being a part of what he came to die to create by pursuing meaningful relationships with other believers and discovering your place in the body, making disciples. You are giving Jesus the reward that he deserves because that's what he died to accomplish And so this year, let's be the church that he created. Each and every one of us, let's discover where we fit within this thing. Let's be the vibrant, active, powerful entity that his blood has enabled us to be. I'm telling you what, I'm excited about it. God's got something in store for this church body, and I strongly encourage you to jump in with both feet. So I tell you this, I, I said this to earlier in the service that not one time have I ever heard anybody say, man, I saw that God was doing this, and I decided to get involved in it, and I'm telling you what, I sure do regret it now. <laughs> if there's anything they regret about it, it's that they Hadn't done it a long time ago. Everything God does is to lead us into pure joy. And there is joy found even in the difficulties of heart-deep relationship. So pursue it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you put within us a desire to want what you want. God, I pray for every barrier that has kept us 
from living this way with one another, Lord, that you would tear down right now the barriers of self-consciousness, the barrier of fear, the barrier of thinking just not good enough, don't have anything to offer. Lord, I pray that you would make what's important to you important to us. That you would make your priorities our priorities. Lord, I know that there is so much more available to life in you than many of us have just resigned ourselves to accepting. That this is as good as it gets. And you're saying, no, I've got so much more for you. Lord, I know that we are surrounded by so much error, so many lies that bombard us every day that rarely do we get to hear just truth from you. Lord, I pray that we would just pursue these places, these relationships, these environments where we can just keep hearing more and more truth as we speak it each to one another. Lord, let what you died for be accomplished here in this church body. And then we'd see that spread outside of these walls and have an effect on this whole town, this whole area here, God. Here we are, Lord, we say, yes. Here am I, Lord, send me. Let that be our attitude. Let that be our heart cry. Here I am, Lord, send me. Because God, I know that if we just say no thank you to this, you'll offer it to someone else. And we'll be stuck in our own complacency. Lord, don't let that happen here. God, let your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.